The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. So I think we need to do a Kurds update. An update on the Syrian Kurds. We covered this quite a bit on the last show. And you know that I have a pretty big curiosity with Syria because I feel like this is something that is coming at us from every angle. That nothing is real in what we're getting from the news media. And I'll have some examples of that. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. So we had a handful of military advisors, some special ops guys, and Trump decides, hey, I'm going to move them out of the way because Turkey has this move that they want to eliminate the last vestige of ISIS, but then they also want to push back the PKK, the YPG, because those are Syrian Kurds, but they're also Marxist terrorists. In fact, they are a terrorist organization as deemed by our State Department. So there are individuals that are innocent in the crosshairs. There's Christian communities. Uh, one uh, individual that was one of the first deaths is uh, apparently is a Christian, um, not involved with the, the terror wings of these Kurdish forces. But overall... You know, you have to look at these areas outside of the borders, because one thing people realize is when they look at what's going on from, you know, our perspective, they see a map, they see the Turkey border, Syria. Um, there's areas in there that their government cannot govern because they don't have the resources. You know, it's like in Iraq. Everybody talks about Iraq and they think, OK, Baghdad is covering the whole place. You no, know, Baghdad governs Baghdad, doesn't govern the mountainous region or even Kurdistan. That's how you can have a Kurdish area established because there's no governmental pushback because they don't have the resources to go in there and stop them. You know, they clash with them from time to time when they do try to maintain their, their territory, but for the most part, you can have Al-Qaeda in the mountains hiding out, planning a 9-11 because there's an ungoverned area. And so you have these border towns that are being governed by the Syrian Kurds. They're technically a part of Syria. Turkey would like to take some of that spot back and Turkey would like to beat them back. But Turkey is also, you know, my hatred for Erdogan. He is an Islamist. The guy wants to rebuild the caliphate. He said he wants the United Nations in Istanbul, probably because he's going to try to do it globally. So as much as I would like to say, hey, Erdogan, you take the uh, United Nations since they're uh, going bankrupt. <laughs> you take them and they're always against Israel and the United States and they're always against freedom. You take them and put them in Istanbul and we're done with it all. But regardless of all that, Erdogan is still trying to push back a terror faction Nonetheless, whether we align with them or not, whether we like Turkey, Turkey is in the NATO alliance. I can't really do anything about that. Who put them there? Ah, well, we now have to treat them as an ally. Sanctions is what Trump is doing. I'm fully 100% on board with that. But one of the things that we have to realize is I don't think that us moving a handful of advisors, a handful of special ops, out of the region so they don't get hit, even though they Turkey did aim at them in, in certain instances. Um, we have to realize that is not the reason why the Kurds are falling apart or whether or not the Kurds can p win against the Turks. This was a mission that Turkey was going to do because they had pushed everything out of Syria into the border and then it had to be dealt with. And so there's a new development that is happening and this is actually from an individual, Mutlu Suvaglu. I, I don't even know how to say his name. Anyways, he's at M-U-T-L-U-D-C on Twitter. Self-administration of northern or northeastern Syria announces an agreement with the Syrian government to protect Syrian borders with the SDF against Turkey. 
It will also help liberate these areas from Turkey, including Afrin. So when they say the self-administration of northeast Syria, they're talking about the Syrian Kurds. So they've announced an agreement with the Syrian government to protect the Syrian borders. How about that? Wow, you mean somebody else is going to step in to fill the void? Now, this is Assad. And again, Assad's not a good guy. I still don't think he's the Saddam Hussein that they made him out to be. And I think the so-called Syrian civil war to destabilize Syria, overthrow Assad, give it over to Al-Qaeda, basically, and which in turn allowed ISIS to basically sprout up and grow, that was probably not the best idea. And some of the chemical attacks may have been conducted by Assad, but we also have found out that many of the chemical attacks, which I have the documents, I've got the UN documents, I've got the Amnesty International pieces on it, so... Seems pretty credible to me. We're actually the Al-Qaeda terrorists gassing people so that they could spin it in the news media and prop it up onto Assad so that it gives people more of a reason to take Assad out. But it looks as though there's a partnership growing. And this is what it said um, when they translated the the document online. It said, to the public opinion, the self-administration of northern and eastern Syria through its military forces, the Syria Democratic Forces, formed out of all the components of the Syrian self-management areas, fought terrorism starting from Kobani in 2014, and then continued the battles of liberation against this terrorist group in northern and eastern Syria. As it managed to liberate Manjbi, uh, west of the Euphrates, um, also it reached the alleged capital of ISIS, al-Raqqa, and then to Deir Ezzor, and declared victory over this group after five years of fighting on March 23rd, 2019. That was when we did that Syrian episode. If you remember, there was a gas attack. They moved everybody out of Douma. They moved everybody to uh, Idlib. And this is al-Islam, al-Sham, which is al-Nusra, al-Qaeda, ISIS. They were all pushed into this little area up there by the border of Turkey. And Turkey took some of the Syrian refugees And they're putting them back. But going back to this, this liberated geographical areas is equivalent to the one third of the total territories of Syria. The SDF lost 11,000 martyrs and 24,000 wounded, including permanent disabilities during these battles. This was a high price to liberate the Syrians and all components from the oppression and the brutality of these terrorist organizations. So they, they go on to say, Syrian and all the components from the oppression and brutality of these terrorist organizations to preserve the territorial integrity of Syria. Our political project in northern and eastern Syria did not call for secession, but we have been calling for dialogue and resolving the Syrian crisis peacefully. We did not attack any country, especially Turkey, though it persists to call us terrorists, while it played an important role in supporting terrorism in Syria. Today, Turkey is invading the Syrian territory liberated by the SDF with the blood and sacrifices of its children. During the past five days, the most heinous crimes have been unarmed civilians who have been uh, have been committed. The SDF has responded with dignity and courage, resulting in the death and injury of its fighters in order to save the Syrian integrity. However, Turkey is continuing its assault. So basically... They're saying, well, Turkey is attacking us and we're not terrorists, but there's some, I don't know, there's some things that I've seen in the news of of car bombings and what have you. But overall, it looks to be that uh, Turkey is being pushed back by the Syrian militants, I mean, by the, by the Syrian Kurds, the militant wings, and their newfound alliance with Syria's army. So I... I think it's going to work itself out in this situation. But what we have to do is avoid all of the propaganda that's being fed to us. There's a video. It's insane. There's a video that's online. A lady, supposedly she's Kurdish. She's holding up a baby or, you know, a young toddler. It says, what you're about to see is a failed attempt by the PYD to smear Turkey. So she's holding up this this little child and she's trying to say what does Erdogan want from us 
She's holding him up and he's flailing around. I brought the body here to be burned. The U.S. sold us out. And then the video scrolls in. And what you see is an innocent child was used to make a false claim that Turkey is targeting civilians. The PYD supporters posted this video in which um, I'm kind of reading it as it goes. A woman claims Turkey killed her baby, killed her child. But however, the child is in the woman's lap and is very much alive. You can see him blinking. It's propaganda. These are the videos that were seen. There's another one that ABC put out. Check this out. ABC, this is from Gateway Pundit. ABC News uses 2016 gun range video and lies to pass it off as a Turkey or, or Turkish bombing of the Kurds in Syria. <laughs> ABC News played a video this weekend of Turkey bombing the Kurds in Syria. But the video is not from Syria. The video is from a Knob Creek machine gun shoot back in America in 2016, April of 2016, and loaded to 2017 onto YouTube. And you can see the onlookers watching the entire display. You can see the cell phones, the people in the crowd, little white lights. Their original video shows all this stuff. So ABC is using propaganda. The propaganda is thick, and we had this every single time. If you remember, Ahmed Kurdi, I think the kid's name was, where we found him on the shores of, of, I think it was Laos. He was a Syrian refugee, and everybody you know, went in, cameras showing this child, lifeless body, laying on the shores. Guess what? His, son, his dad was taking him and his son to, I think it was to Germany, for dental care it wasn't it had nothing to do with the refugees leaving then you had the aleppo kid where they put him in the back of the ambulance and said that he died because of a gas attack and really they kind of brushed him off cnn was responsible for that propaganda so what you're seeing in the news media these videos may not be 100 percent. i'm seeing a lot of photos that people are discounting and saying these happened during the attacks in aleppo um we have to be very very critical of the information that we come across. I mean, why is it that everything is women and children? It's the same playbook. When we saw the refugees from Syria, they were all men. When we saw the border being flooded at our southern border from, from Guatemala and El, pa uh, El, El Salvador, all men for the most part. There were some women littered in, but in both of those instances, the majority were men. But yet when we see videos, it's always women and children separated, put in cages, right? Same thing in Palestine. Palestinians uh, trying to get into Israel, women and children, and then they're sending over, you know, drones and balloons with, with bombs on them. <laughs> I mean, this is a news media um, narrative. This is what they do. They want your heartstrings to be tugged. They want you to not think about what's really happening, that they've been able to basically repopulate and reimagine the world by shifting populations around right under your nose. You didn't even know. Yeah, yeah. Most of Europe is now covered in Syrian refugees. Most of our southern border is going to be covered with, the, uh, with, with Central America, to which Iran and Hezbollah and Hamas are coming through with the cartels. So we have to really be very critical and scrutinize every bit of news that you get and realize in some situations what looks like it's going to be a bad outcome, something else happens. Why was there outrage over the Kurds? Why wasn't there outrage over the Yazidis being executed on Sinjar Mountain? Well, Obama was president. I guess it's okay. We didn't need to go in and save the Yazidis and the, and the Christians that were in, in northern Iraq. Ah, no biggie there. Let ISIS kill them. That's their war. But we pull back because of the drawdown, the slow resolution to the overthrow of Assad that most of the West wanted to do with Germany and France. And, and I know that sounds un-American to say, but who do you think's running the country? Republican rhinos. Now that Donald Trump actually took that out of their hands, but at the time, Republican rhinos who have no uh, 
they have little patriotism. It's all surface. It's all BS. It's all patriotism that they can go around and scream, hey, look at me, I'm for America. But yet they're corporatist. They're selling us out, crony corporatist. They're trying to reimagine the Middle East. And then you have the leftist who basically want to tear down the country. So would it be beyond them to aid in the overthrow of a foreign leader so they can take their country for natural resources and leave it in a state of disarray? Huh? Libya? <laughs> I mean, I, let's go back and play this clip of Wesley Clark, General Wesley Clark, talking about the, I've played this before, talking about the mission, the idea to basically eliminate seven Middle Eastern nations in five years. What happened at 9-11 is we didn't have a strategy, we didn't have bipartisan agreement, we didn't have American understanding of it, and we had instead a policy coup in this country, a coup, a policy coup. Some hard-nosed people took over the direction of American policy, and they never bothered to inform the rest of us. I went through the Pentagon 10 days after 9-11. I couldn't stay away from Mother Army. I went back there to see Don Rumsfeld. I'd worked for him as a White House fellow in the 1970s. All this is in the book. And, um, and I said, am I doing okay on CNN? He said, yeah, 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 fine. He said, uh, I'm thinking about it. He says, I read your book. And uh, he said, uh, this is a book that talks about the Kosovo campaign. And he said, I just want to tell you, he said, nobody's going to tell us where or when we can bomb. Nobody. He said, I'm thinking of calling this a floating coalition. What do you think about that? I said, well, sir, uh, thanks for reading my book. And, uh, well, uh, he said, thanks. That's all the time I've got. Really? And um, I went downstairs. I was leaving the Pentagon, and an officer from the Joint Staff called me into his office and said, I, I want you to know, he said, sir, we're going to attack Iraq. And I said, why? He said, we don't know. He said, uh, I said, well, did they tie Saddam to 9-11? He said, uh, no. He said, but um, I guess it's, they don't know what to do about terrorism. And so uh, the, it, they think, but they can attack states and they want to look strong. And so I guess they think if they take down a state, it will intimidate the terrorists. And, you know, it's like that old saying he said, if the only two you have is a hammer, then every problem has to be a nail. Well, I walked out of there pretty upset, and then um, we attacked Afghanistan. I was pretty happy about that. We should have. And then I came back to the Pentagon about six weeks later. I saw the same officer. I said, why, uh, why haven't we attacked Iraq? Are we still going to attack Iraq? He said, oh, sir. He says, it's worse than that. He said, um, he pulled up a piece of paper off his desk. He said, I just got this memo from the Secretary of Defense's office that says we're going to attack and destroy the governments in, in seven countries in five years. We're going to start with Iraq, and then we're going to move to Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Iran. I seven, seven countries in five years. I said, is that a classified memo? He said, yes, sir. I said, well, don't show it to me. He was about to show it to me. He said, because I want to talk about it. And I, I, I sat on this information for a long time, for about... Six or eight months, I, I was so stunned by this, I couldn't begin to talk about it. And I couldn't believe it would really be true, but that's actually what happened. Uh, these people took control of the policy in the United States. And I realized then, it came back to me, a 1991 meeting I had with Paul Wolfowitz. You know, in 2001, he was Deputy Secretary of Defense, but in 1991, he was the Under Secretary of Defense for Policy. It's the number three position in the Pentagon. And I had gone to see him when I was a one-star general, I was commanding the National Training Center. I had met him one time. He said, if you ever get to Washington, come look me up. They always say that. Well, I was there in Washington. It was a Friday afternoon. I'd visited Colin Powell. He'd given me five minutes of his precious time and sent me on my way. And I was bored in the Pentagon. And, and I thought, I'll just go. Who can I see? I'll, I think I'll see Wolfowitz. So I called and up there. He was available. Scooter Libby came to the door. I met Scooter for the first time. And he brought me in. And uh, I said to Paul, I said, and this is 1991, I said, Mr. Secretary, you must be pretty happy with the performance of the troops in, in Desert Storm. And he said, uh, well, yeah, he said, but, but not really, he said, because the truth is we should have gotten rid of Saddam Hussein, and we didn't. And this was just after the Shia uprising in, the, in March of 91, which we had provoked, and then we kept our troops on the sidelines and didn't intervene. And he said, but one thing we did learn, he said, 
we learned that we can use our military in the region, in the Middle East, and the Soviets won't stop us. He said, and we've got about five or ten years to clean up those old Soviet client regimes, Syria, Iran, Iraq, before the next great superpower comes on to challenge us. Chilling stuff. If that doesn't just show you what they plan to do from the get-go, nothing does. So now let's switch gears a little bit. We've got a debate coming up, another CNN debate. I think it's CNN, another Democrat debate. And they just had a CNN equality town hall. That's the LGBTQ town hall with the various different candidates. And uh, yeah, it gives us a little bit more insight into the insanity of the left and how they're going to push their agenda upon Christians and people who have in their faith that this lifestyle doesn't really jive with what their faith is. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to go around and say, you can't do this. We're, you know, that's your deal between you and God. But they're, what they're going to do to the churches is really stunning. First, Joe Biden just tries to fit in with this craziness and just a spring pops in his head, his dentures fall out, his eyeball turns red, and he gets stuck on repeat. And he starts talking about bathhouses. We talked about this in, in, in San Francisco. It's all about, well, you know, gay, gay, gay bathhouses. And every, it's all about round-the-clock sex. It's all, come on, man. And back there in San Francisco, we had the gay bathhouses, and, and Corn Pop showed up, and Corn Pop brought the KY jelly, and, and then it got really bizarre, but it was in those gay, 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 gay bathhouses. What in the world is wrong with this guy? And then you get Beto O'Rourke. This guy doubles down on stupid all the time. He's going to take a position. First, he's going to say, hell yeah, we're coming for your guns. Yeah, bro. We're coming for. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You just set back your movement <laughs> like a couple years back now. Thank you for that. So he's going to do that with churches. Just listen to this little bit of insanity. This is from your LGBTQ plan, and here's what you write. This is a quote. Freedom of religion is a fundamental right, but it should not be used to discriminate. Do you think religious institutions uh, like colleges, churches, charities, should they lose their tax-exempt status if they oppose same-sex marriage? Yes. There can be no reward, no benefit, no tax break for anyone or inst any institution, any organization in America that denies the full human rights and the full civil rights of every single one of us. And so as president, we're going to make that a priority and we are going to stop those who are infringing upon the human rights of our fellow Americans. Beto O'Rourke says it himself, they're gonna take your tax exempt status away if you're a church. You will be made to care. This portion of the program is sponsored by Cat Coolers. So rugged, it changes everything. They keep ice cold for up to seven days. Made in the United States, customizable, four different colors, white, black, yellow, even camouflage. Look, if you're going out on the lake doing some fishing, maybe you're going camping with the kids, maybe you're in the Boy Scouts. Maybe you want to take the cooler out on the job site. For those people that work with you, this thing will keep your items cool for hours. A cat cooler will be your new best friend. Keep your food and drink fresher, colder, Longer, go to catcoolers.com, use the promo code Adrian, catcoolers.com, use the promo code Adrian, and you will pick up an amazing Gibraltar-esque, sturdy, rugged cooler that will keep your items cold for hours. More on the crazy left in just a second, back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. So we were talking about everything going on with um, the left in their LGBTQRSTUV town hall on CNN. It was just basically one giant pander fest. And I know a lot of people have covered it, but there were some new developments that we found out that dovetailed with this entire thing. And uh, let's listen to this witty soundbite, because one of the things you'll notice with Liawatha Chief, uh, chief running lie. <laughs> um, basically, uh, Elizabeth Warren, she is entirely full of crap. Shocker. I know you didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's the thing. First off, 
it's not as though she didn't just lie about being a Native American. There's other things that she has lied about that has come to light because she's trying to make herself a well-rounded candidate. She wants to be known for the issues, so she's going to be the one person who's not up there just giving style and garbage. She's actually giving issues. Oh, but then she's an Instagram hero, so she's going to get me a beer. And then she's going to run to the public library to return a book, which I think was a French cookbook, you know, something that helped her craft her powwow chow recipe of crab cakes, you know, because crabs are abundant in Oklahoma back in the day. You know, Native Americans were cracking open them crabs. Um, so she decided she was going to run up, drop a book in the, in the depository, take a selfie and run back. Look at that. She's spunky and cute. And she's, even though she's old and annoying and it's, it's irritating. So she has to try to make this meme, but then she also has to embody the plight of every diversity group that they're pandering to. So she gets this question from this gentleman at the town hall, and then she tries to turn it into some witty, quick one-liner, some harsh one-liner that, wow, you got him. Yeah, listen to this. Uh, let's say you're on the campaign trail and you're I approached. Have you have been, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, a, and a supporter approaches you and says, Senator, I'm old-fashioned, and my faith teaches me that marriage is between one man and one woman. What is your response? Well, I'm going to assume it's a guy who said that. <laughs> And I'm going to say, then just marry one woman. <laughs> I'm cool with that. <laughs> Assuming you can find one. Just marry one woman. I'm cool with that. If you can find one. <laughs> Seriously? So she's going to make a straw man. It's a man because we got to fight the patriarchy and it's at the LGBTQRSTUV town hall. And so we need to attack the man and then we need to give her the one line zinger. Man, we got to first go, look at how inclusive I am. Marry who you want. If you can find one. Wow, she's so witty and she's going to take him down. Yeah. Interesting thing about the guy asking the question. Um, CNN has failed to disclose that the questioner donated the federal maximum to her 2018 Massachusetts Senate campaign. CNN, uh, CNN's Chris Cuomo introduced Morgan Cox at the Thursday town hall as, quote, the chair of the Human Rights Campaign Board of Directors, who was part of a, quote, a real estate investment firm in Dallas, Texas. Cox asked Warren what she would say if a supporter approaches you, and we just heard the clip. And, of course, she said, you know, if you can find one. So the CNN Chiron described Cox as, quote, chair, Human Rights Campaign Board of Directors. It could have easily just identified Cox as, quote, donor, Elizabeth Warren. Cox's Twitter profile indicates that he, um, his full name is Morgan W. Cox III, and he is a partner at an investment firm, Marquee Group. The Marquee Group is located in Plano, Texas, part of a larger Dallas-Fort Worth metropolitan area. FEC filings show that Morgan Cox III from Plano, Texas, who listed his occupation as, quote, investor, donated the legal maximum of 2700 to Warren's Senate primary campaign in 2017, followed by two donations totaling 2700 to her general election campaign the following year. Cox also donated 2700 to the Elizabeth Warren Action Fund Super PAC. Records show that a... Morgan W. Cox III, who donated to the Human Rights Campaign and listed his employer as the Marquee Group, also donated to Democrat congressional candidates Gina Ortiz-Jones from Texas, Jennifer Wexton from Virginia, Nancy Soderberg from Florida, and Annie Craig from Minnesota. There's no evidence Cox has donated to any other 2020 Democratic presidential uh, candidate. The lack of disclosure comes after CNN was criticized for not disclosing the Democratic Party ties of town hall participants who ask harsh questions of outsider president candidate Senator Bernie Sanders, including identifying that the Baltimore County Democratic Party chairwoman as a, quote, former biology professor. Oh, yeah, we're just going to leave out her political background, her resume on politics. Yeah, you don't need to worry about that. She's just a former biology professor. A CNN spokesman 
admitted in a statement that they should have more fully identified any political affiliations in response to that controversy. Well, and that was from Alex Griswold. Good follow at the Free Beacon. Um, Find him on Twitter. But that is the thing. If you saw the Project Veritas video, if I have time, maybe we'll cover that, where Jeff Zucker is on a personal mission to basically inundate you with impeachment news 24-7 on their fake news network, and they're still getting riled up over that little Kingsman video that somebody made about a year ago where it shows Donald Trump going in and and fighting and killing all of the, all of the fake news, NPR, Vox, uh, you know, MSNBC down the line, CNN, then you know that there's bias, that there is not going to be some sort of even playing field. And you have to know that Warren is their girl. They want Elizabeth Warren because she is the female embodiment of Bernie Sanders, and they think that she has some sort of electability as, as far as, you know, her policies go. They think that she has substance and that Joe Biden's just the old school Democrat establishment who's going to fall under these Ukrainian scandals. But the interesting thing is, Liawatha can't get out of line. She has to keep doing it. And she's done it on several occasions. She had a story, this is actually from Legal Insurrection, on Meet the Press, Elizabeth Warren recounted an incident from her early professor, uh, professor days about a senior professor who allegedly sexually harassed her by lunging after her and chasing her around the desk in his office. This is from New York Daily News. Warren uh, recalled a former colleague in her early career asking her into his office and making a move on her. She remembered him chasing me around the desk and trying to get his hands on me. Despite her pleas, he kept coming back, so she made a quick escape for the door. Quote, I went back to my office and I just sat and shook, Warren said, and thought, what have I done to bring this on? Yes, I have a Me Too story, too. I was a baby law professor and so excited to have my first real teaching job. And there was a senior faculty member who, you know, would tell dirty jokes and make comments about my appearance. And one day he asked me if I would stop by his office, which I didn't think much about, and I did. And he slammed the door and lunged for me. It was like a bad cartoon. He's chasing me around the desk, trying to get his hands on me. And I kept saying, you don't want to do this. You, you don't want to do this. I have little children at home. Please don't do this. And trying to talk calmly. And at the same time, what was flickering through my brain is, if he gets hold of me, I'm going to punch him right in the face. And Warren didn't tell anyone about it except her best friend. And that, for a long time, I wore a lot out of. So she goes on to say that all this happened. Um, but... Extensive dealings reporting on Warren's false claim to be a Native American and misleading statements regarding her law practice representing major corporations. This writer viewed Warren's statement uh, with caution. She is the master of taking a kernel of truth, such as there's some family talk of being a Native American, and spinning it into a larger narrative showing that she was Native American. So there is a story that broke on this, and the story that they put out in the Boston Herald kind of talks about how the professor that chased her around was stricken with polio. And she had a lighthearted ex- talk about it. Um, she spoke, um, what did it say? Warren told the Globe she was conflicted about speaking at Mr. Smith, who was the professor, at his service after he passed away. He had asked her to do so when he was dying. She said, at the service, Warren described jeans chasing her around the desk an uncontrollable lust while she laughed, equally uncontrolled, as she avoided his crab-like grasp. John Mixon, a former colleague of Warren's, said at the uh, University of Houston Law Center, he wrote this in an autobiography of the law school, a book of uh, 577-page book, a memoir that chronicles the law school's history. Warren told the Globe that she made the trip to the memorial service because I was fine and I didn't want anyone to think I wasn't. She kind of laughed about this whole thing with being chased around by the polio-stricken professor with crab-like grip. So that, in and of itself, was a lie. But then you also had this incident where she was pregnant, and they said that she was fired from her job over her pregnancy. Well, Breitbart has new 
evidence emerged that Senator Elizabeth Warren has been untruthful in telling voters she was fired from a teaching job because she was visibly pregnant. As Breitbart News noted, Warren's campaign tale was called into question by a 2007 interview where she suggested she left for lack of qualifications and interest. Let's play that video just so you can get a crux of the whole idea. I was married at 19 uh, and then graduated from from college, actually, after I'd I'd married. And my first year uh, post-graduation, I worked. It was in a public school system, but I worked with the the children with disabilities. And um, I did that for a year. And then that summer... uh, I, I actually didn't have the education courses, so I was on an emergency certificate, it was mm-hmm. called. And I went back to graduate school and took a couple of courses in education and said, I don't think this is going to work out for me. Mm. And I was pregnant with my first baby. So I had a baby uh, and stayed home for a couple of years. So this was my first job, uh, and I was teaching, uh, I was the speech therapist for mostly special needs kids age four to six. And I love the work. I love the kids. Uh, I worked well with the parents. And um, it was everything I hoped it would be. Uh, And then in the spring of my first year, in April, my contract was renewed for the next year. And I was all set to go. Um, But um, I was pregnant at the time. Wasn't showing yet. Uh, about two months later, when I was visibly pregnant, about six months along, um, the principal called me in and said um, that he wished me luck, but he'd be more comfortable having someone else in that job, and he was going to hire someone else for the job. And um, that was it. I lost my job. Wow, she conflicts her own statements. This is from the Free Beacon as well. Colin Anderson writes, The Riverdale Board of Education approved a second-year teaching contract for a young Elizabeth Warren document show, contradicting the Democratic presidential candidate's repeated claims that she was asked not to return to teaching after a single year because she was visibly pregnant. Riverdale Board of Education meeting notes obtained by the Washington Free Beacon show that the board voted unanimously on a motion to extend Warren's second-year contract for two days per week for a teaching job. That job is similar to the one she held the previous year, her first year of teaching. Minutes from the board meeting held two months later on January 16, 1971, indicate Warren's resignation was accepted with regret. So she's full of crap on that, too. She's full of crap on everything. And then you have news organizations like CNN trying to bolster her by taking donors that have maxed out on their donorship and putting them in as just anonymous people wanting to ask questions This is a Donna Brazile of the debate kind of moment where, you know, Donna Brazile gives the questions to Hillary Clinton before the debate. So she is well versed and giving great answers. But this is the kind of thing that we're dealing with. It's a it's an all out assault and a barrage of BS from every angle because they're trying to do like we talked about in the first segment with ABC and the Knob Creek firing range showing an explosion on Good Morning America and World News Tonight telling everybody that's Syria, making everybody who's passively watching go, oh my gosh, I can't believe what's happening in Syria, making them also passively watch Elizabeth Warren and go, look, she's such a great candidate. I mean, she's had all these things, you know, she had a Me Too moment, Uh, she's Native American, so she's got diverse ethnicity, and, uh, you know, she also was fired for being pregnant because of the patriarchy, and none of it, none of it is real. It's all BS. The media's behind it. The candidates are in on it. You have to find a way to dig through the hype, which is why I do what I do on a weekly basis. All right. Does all this make your head hurt? (laughs) Seriously. Do you have uh, nagging joint discomfort, difficulty sleeping, frequent inflammation, mood swings, gut problems? You might want to check out the newest craze, CBD oil. And KBMD CBD may deliver real relief. It's a hemp extract derived from specially bred industrial hemp plants with a high CBD content. The hemp is used to grown, uh, is, is grown organically, and the oil is CO2 extracted. The resultant extract is then added to an easy-to-use dropper bottle 
containing 900 milligrams of CBD oil. It is a wholesome extract, not synthetic, not isolate. It contains all the synergistic cannabinoids and essential oils and other compounds from the original plant. KBMD CBD is physician recommended because it has been used on real patients with real success. I know my wife and I have been using CBD oil and it really kind of makes the difference, calms the nerves. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing stuff. The CBD from uh, KBMD is full spectrum, works best when used with other natural teponines and compounds. It's third party tested with real COA. So you, it's got the certificate of authenticity. So check out KBMD and you can get some KBMD CBD. Use the promo code Slade and you can pick up a bottle by going to kbmdhealth.com. That's kbmdhealth.com. Remember to use the promo code Slade. So the Democrats had another debate Tuesday night and I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch a lick of it. <laughs> Normally I watch it live it. Live tweet it, joke it, mock it. Um, but this time, some of it has to do some to, uh, with some schedule constraints and some technical issues. Uh, we're getting new equipment here at the uh, Slade household for streaming issues. And uh, we also, <laughs> we had other things going on. So I caught some of the clips and I caught some of the tweets um, right after. Um, Kamala Harris she, oh my gosh, she's just a piece of work. She actually tweeted out something to the effect of, uh, you know, in, a, in the gun control vein. She said, eight people will die from gun violence during this debate alone. I'm done. It's time to act. You know, Kamala, those eight people are probably the luckiest people of all because they don't have to hear your dribble. They don't have to hear your babbling. Not to take away from the eight people that would probably die. And most likely they would die in Democrat-run districts such as yourself or cities, such as Chicago, you know, Detroit, and what have you. And Beto O'Rourke jumped in because he wanted to make sure that uh, AR-15s, you know, are going to be taken off the streets. He first tweeted out, if you think AR-15s are too dangerous to sell, then they're too dangerous to own. We cannot leave 16 million of them in the communities. We need to buy them back. And he also talked about it in the debate itself. Just listen to this clip. Exactly how are you going to take away weapons from people who do not want to give them up and you don't know where they are? If someone does not turn in an AR-15 or an AK-47, one of these weapons of war, or, or brings it out in public and, and brandishes it in an attempt to intimidate, as we saw when we were at Kent State uh, recently, then that weapon will be taken from them. Uh, if they persist, there will be other consequences from law enforcement. There's some amazing things in that statement. So first he talks about if they're brandishing weapons as they did in Kent State. Does anyone remember what happened in Kent State? Oh yeah, the government came in with their guns against people who weren't <laughs> armed and took them out. Yeah, because they were protesting and uh, the government wanted to shut them down. So, uh, well... If they had an equalizer, such as an AR-15, they might have had more of a chance. But he also says that he wants to buy them back. Now, first off, you know, talking about brandishing a weapon, if they brandished a weapon of war, say, in their own home, where law enforcement typically require a warrant to even enter the domicile, will they instruct those officers to aim through the window, regardless of any eight-year-old bystanders in the home? Not saying that that never happened before actually happened this weekend with the police in Texas and an innocent woman in her house. They had a wellness check, they, or their welfare check, because the doors are wide open. Cop comes, sees this silhouette in the window. She pulls out a gun because she sees somebody out in the yard. He shoots through the window, and next thing you know, she's dead in front of her 8-year-old. Now, yeah, she had a gun, but she didn't know what was going on. She couldn't defend herself because she, the guy didn't even enter the domicile. He didn't even have a warrant, but... Would it be that the law enforcement should be the only ones with the guns? Obviously, they make mistakes as they did in Texas. Of course, Black Lives Matter is trying to jump all over that. But what about this stupid buyback program crap? Okay, so you're going to take tax revenue from us. Then you're going to demand that we have to turn in our weapons and you're going to buy them back when you never owned them and you're going to be using our tax revenue to purchase them. So basically, we're just going to get them purchased by 
other taxpayers. The government didn't lose money, gain money. All they did was gain weapons and control. Seems like a bit of a scam to me, Mr. O'Rourke. You know, he's out there complaining about Facebook, which he's like, Facebook should be treated like a publisher. Well, I agree with that. But why do they need to be treated like a publisher, Mr. O'Rourke? They should not be able to spread lies on their platform. Well, he's mad because of Donald Trump's commercials, political ads, and other people who are criticizing him. And, you know, Beto O'Rourke should be treated like the fake Green Day punker he is anyway. So now I want to get into some Tulsi Gabbard clips because she seemed like the only reasonable one based on the clips I've seen. First off, a lot of people are going to be like, wow, Adrian, you sound just like Tulsi on the whole Syrian thing. Here's the thing you have to take your take. You know, you got to wrap your head around. Take your mind out of the bubble of the binary choice. Democrat bad, Republican good. Or vice versa, Republican bad, Democrat good. Whichever side of the fence you are. And look at it as Democrat, Republican, working together, even though they put on political theaters, they don't. One pushing progressively harder than the other, but the other still moving progressively there. And if you notice, the only time that unity ever happens, that bipartisanship ever happens, is with things like removing Assad from Syria. Now, if you remember my Syria series, two-part series on why we went to Syria and what the reasons were and who was involved, going back before there was a Donald Trump, before there was a GOP primary and even a 2016 election, the only person that went over there to look into it and who actually came up with the same conclusions I did because she actually went to Syria was Tulsi Gabbard. I actually quoted some of the stuff she said, and I didn't even know who she was then. So here's what she had to say about Assad, and I kind of think she gets this right, even though people are trying to say, oh, she's a Russian asset and Assad apologist. Well, we've got to understand the reality of the situation there, which is that the slaughter of the Kurds being done by Turkey is yet another negative consequence of the regime change war that we've been waging in Syria. Donald Trump has the blood of the Kurds on his hand, but so do many of the politicians in our country from both parties who have supported this ongoing regime change war in Syria that started in 2011, along with many in the mainstream media who have been championing and cheerleading this regime change war. Not only that, but uh, New York Times and CNN have also smeared veterans like myself for calling for an end to this regime change war. Uh, just two days ago, the New York Times put out a, an article saying that I'm a, a Russian asset and an Assad apologist and all these different smears. This morning, a CNN commentator said on national television that I'm an asset of Russia. Completely despicable. As president, I will end these regime change wars by doing two things. Ending the draconian sanctions that are really a modern-day siege, the likes of which we are seeing Saudi Arabia wage against Yemen that have caused tens and thousands of Syrian civilians to die and to starve. And I would make sure that we stop supporting terrorists like al-Qaeda in Syria who've been the ground force in this ongoing regime change war. So, yeah, I kind of slightly agree with her on these things. I mean, even though, look, you have to realize she's the most dangerous candidate up there because she's more moderate, and she, you'll hear in a few how she's moderated herself even further than her previous stances. But the other thing about her is that those who voted for Trump out of frustration, but still have a Democrat worldview, they still have a foot in those lands. They're going to find what she says extremely reasonable. I'm already seeing it online where people who voted conservatively, which we know that that term doesn't mean what it used to mean, are now touting Tulsi. And I like Tulsi. Not only the fact that she's fine, she's hot. She also um, is reasonable on the Democrat side, but that's almost like saying you're the world's tallest midget. <laughs> I mean, really, I don't want to vote for the world's tallest midget. I would rather just have a tall person. <laughs> and that means I would rather have somebody who's for limited government and, a, and no progressivism. But before we get into more of her, listen to Joe Biden. I think he's, his spring has just sprung in his head. I think he's he snapped his eyeballs red again, just like we talked about earlier. Listen to this insanity. 
Because guess what? Why in God's name should someone who's clipping coupons in the stock market make, in fact, pay a lower tax rate than someone who, in fact, is, uh, like I said, the, a school teacher and a firefighter? It's ridiculous. And they pay a lower tax. Coupon. <laughs> I don't even. Coupon stocks. What was he talking about? It's nonsense. It was like, so school teachers and firefighters shouldn't buy Enron stocks on the supermarket suites coupon discount rate over there on the infrastructure bridge things. He was kind of just tossing every every Democrat <laughs> debate talking term and throwing it in a, a word salad and just spitting it all out there. But Tulsi Gabbard, again, stepped in to look like she was the more moderate choice of the bunch with her stances on abortion. This is often one of the most difficult decisions that a woman will ever have to make. And it's unfortunate to see how in this country it has for so long been used as a divisive political weapon. Uh, I agree with Hillary Clinton on one thing, disagree with her on many others. But when she said abortion should be safe, legal and rare, I think she's correct. Again, she still agrees with Hillary Clinton, but we're seeing her moderate and she's actually been one of the most Google search people again. Does that show you something, leftist? You guys are pandering so much to these crazy, woke Portland people that are talking about how we have to get rid of men's urinals and, and switch them for toilet seats so that men have to sit down to pee. Of course, we're going to stand up and pee all over the seats. You know, everything about woke culture is causing these people to move all the way to the left in ways we never imagined. She's the only one that's kind of pushing towards the right, even Andrew Yang to a degree, and they're the ones getting the Google search. So be wary of Tulsi Gabbard, but also realize these people, no matter who they are in the Democrat Party, are coming for your guns. They're going to force you to pay for abortions. They're going to do everything that is outside of liberty, and they're going to push your freedoms down the gutter. So you better stand and better be aware of it all. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning into the show. Get the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Overcast, wherever podcasts are hosted. And be sure to give us a review. Give us a good five-star review that's going to help us go up in the ratings so we're more visible to others. You can also donate to the show. Go to patreon.com slash Show. Give $2 a month or go to anchor.fm and search Adrian Slade. Follow us on Twitter at Rants Out Loud or at Adrian Slade Show, which is the official show page on Twitter. You can also get the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel in your streaming store on the Roku streaming channel store. Be sure to download the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.